and welcome in to an abundance of thrones recapping season four episode four Oathkeeper Garrett here with Brad and Wade. Hello. Hello again. How are we doing? Doing wonderful. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. I the, the slave boss, the slave masters of Meridian are doing pretty good, but Marine, sorry, not Meridian. Yeah, they're not feeling so hot. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, yes. So what do we think of, well, before we get into what we think, let's give some of the, the details real quick. Uh, director of this episode is Michelle McLaren, writer Brian Cogman. We definitely see a strong spike in viewership this week. Highest the viewerships has ever been at 6.95 million in the U.S. That's a lot of people. That is. We are flirting with that 7 million mark pretty mm. heavy. And we are going to throw the spoiler finger up, do that we do talk about the show. If you have not seen it yet, stop listening, go watch the episode, and come back. And we're also going to throw up the explicit banner because we're going to say whatever the hell we want. If don't you don't like, like it, it, get the uh, hell out. Yeah, that. <laughs> uh, a little bit of backstory too, though. Michelle McLaren also directed Season 3, Episode 7, The Bear and the Maiden Fair, which had a viewership of 4.84, along with Season 3, Episode 8, Second Sons, at 5.13 million. So, awesome. not her Game of Thrones director debut with Oathkeeper. With that being said, Brad, what'd you think about this? Um, you know, not a lot. <laughs> really? I'm still, I, I'm still, I don't know, it still feels very slow. I felt the same may, way. Um, may, maybe it's, you know, we kind of got used to the grand battles, um, you know, we've had the the War of the Kings and the Red Wedding and there's been these big um, you know pivotal pivotal moments and so far this season it's just the storytelling is still excellent the characters are awesome everything is moving you know kind of along the lines of what I would expect from reading the books it just seems very slow yeah we got the the high High point in uh, episode two with the death of Joffrey and everything else is just, it still feels like they're putting those pieces together. It, it's, yeah. the, it, it's the aftermath. We just had that big kind of blowout. We're picking up the pieces, trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. It's, well, it's, a, and, it's a slow process. Even, you know, one of our opening scenes across the narrow sea with um, Danny's taking of Meereen. It just, she yep. instigates an uprising, and not a whole lot of that is shown. Yeah, you get one little view of one master getting overrun with slaves, and then the next clip is that the it's all over with, and they're nailing masters to crosses. Yeah. So yeah, not not a very climactic factor to what should have been a pretty intense uh, sequence of events. They're like, well, look, you know what she's doing. She's done it to the past two cities she's been in. She's going to do it to him. Now, yeah, it could have been more exciting. Yeah, it seems like the battle at Meereen pretty much just got a dot, dot, dot. 
It was just like, here's yeah. Dario Naharis being a badass, and we're good. Yep. And Grey Worm learning to read, and then Grey Worm infiltrated through the sewers. Now, I do want to give a touch on that scene uh, from the book aspect. If anyone watching the show thought, wow, he really got into the city pretty easily, and that shouldn't have happened. Well, according to the books, uh, they don't patrol the sewers because the last time anyone tried to travel through them, they drowned. Because the levels within the sewers fluctuate so uh, rapidly. Along with the fact that it is sewage, and very few people would even venture. But those that tried have all failed. So there was no point guarding that area because it was not perceived as a threat. Past less likely so, traveled. Uh, that's just a little bit of backstory on that. What did you think of the revelations about Joffrey's death? Uh, revelations in terms of the little cues they gave about who done it? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was very... Uh, I'm trying to find the right word here, but there was, it suited the way Game of Thrones tells a story. Yeah, there were subtle hints in both episodes in the of the Purple Wedding, at the Feast, and in this episode, which, you know, told you, but if you didn't know to look for it, you probably wouldn't have noticed. Yeah. Well, and I kind of felt the same way, that it was very in keeping with the book's um, and, you know, at the close of the episode, you're, you're left with Lady Alana's, um, insinuations to Marjorie. I mean, and if you read between with, the lines, with, I mean, well, not to, to totally cut you off, but I watched the episode twice. And yeah, but you did totally cut me off. That's I okay. did totally cut you off. Jerk. And, and I really, I, I'm honestly not even sorry about that. But... After watching it a second time and you know to read between the lines with Game of Thrones, it's apparent. But anyway, continue. Well, you've got the insinuations from Lady Alana to Marjorie. Yep. Less of and insinuations. Then... Say again? Less of insinuations. She's basically like, yeah, I did it. Well, but <laughs> not quite. I mean, you've, you've got to kind of take it that next step that she doesn't. Well, and then on top of that, you've got uh, Lord Baelish's, you know, almost outright confession. Yeah, my new friends but again, really not wanted him quite. Dead. Yeah, you know, it, both of them are very close, but not quite. Yeah, I mean, you get Baelish saying, "My new friends are very logical and predictable, and they very much wanted Joffrey dead." Yep. And then you get Olena saying, you didn't think I'd really have you marry that monster, did you? While she very subtly aligns Marjorie's necklace. Yeah. Uh, and insinuating the fact that she um, was a bit of a hoe in her younger years in order <laughs> to marry who she wanted, not who others wanted her to. So uh, that was an interesting little confession that... The Queen of Thorns is a little bit of a slut. Hey, she had fun. And she accomplished her goals. Which Absolutely. I think was really the the underlying theme of that conversation. 
Um, what came next now? I'm even at, well, we had a lot of scenes this episode with Jamie and Brienne. We did, we did have him playing the kind of detective role this episode. Him going around, different people asking questions. Well, because we see him fighting Bronn. And Bronn kind of puts him in his place a little bit. Do you want to fight pretty or do you want to win? You know, mm -hmm. your brother called for your help when he was imprisoned at the Eyrie. Uh, knowing that you would come fight for him. And are you going to fight for him now? So that was... Both the literal and the proverbial slap in the face, which Wade called out very early <laughs> on in the show that that metal hand was the perfect shape for backhandage, to which it got put to good use this episode. Good call. That good beautiful call. hand smacked that beautiful face. That's right. So we see then Jamie's chatting it up with Tyrion. Tyrion saying, do you really think I would kill your son? And Jamie's saying, do you really think I'd kill my brother? So, a little bit of a... Tongue-in-cheek? Not so much tongue-in-cheek, but you see kind of a camaraderie there where... And as Cersei says earlier in the episode, that Jamie's really the only one that's ever been on Tyrion's side. Mm-hmm. His Tyrion's dad hates him. His sister hates him. He killed his mother at birth. Jamie's the only one who saw someone that was worthy of protection. Um, and then we see the, the scenes with Brienne. What'd you think of uh, the dynamic between Jamie and Brienne? Either one of you. It looks like Brienne has, has almost developed feelings for him. Well, we saw at the Purple Wedding when Cersei confronted Brienne and asked uh, if Brienne loves Jamie, and she didn't reply. Yeah. It had a pretty guilty look on her face. But I would agree that, to me, it seems apparent that there are feelings from Brienne to Jamie. What are your thoughts on the reciprocation? I think there's kind of a fondness. But I don't know if it's the same feelings reciprocated. It's interesting. Uh, Wade, your thoughts? I think that it's he's starting to realize he may have feelings for it when back when uh Podrick is handing over Podrick to her and she named her sword after the episode he she started going off he kind of stood there and was like hmm okay I kind of see those feelings and he's kind of searching in himself at that when she's writing off of okay so now how do I feel about that and if, if it was any other guy, if, she, if he didn't have feelings for her, he'd be, he'd be like, all right, she's gone. I felt the same way. I mean, we saw when Jamie was giving her the armor and the sword, Brienne said, I will find, Lady, I will find Sansa for Lady Catelyn and you, kind of expressing that there was definitely something going on there. Right. But I agree with Wade in that when he gives... Or puts Podrick under her supervision. And when he sees her right away, she turns back. And I think you see him understanding that there's more than just mutual respect. But there is definitely something else going on here. I think he's seeing that Cersei is no longer the woman that he's uh, always idolized. 
and that maybe the characteristics that he thought she had or that she had towards him have faded and that they're now, you know, being given by Brienne. He took too long. <laughs> it's very interesting that uh, in a different... Oh, what's the word I'm after? In a different personality style, that Cersei actually has some similar characteristics to Lady Alana. Okay, carry on. They're, both of them are fully prepared to use sex to get their own way. Agreed. To manipulate situations to turn things in their own direction. Lady Alana was prepared to sleep with whoever was necessary to marry the man she wanted to because she knew it would put her in a position of power. And yet, through it all, she she is smart, she's cunning, she's, you know, very intelligent, but she still comes across as kind. Yes. Meanwhile, Cersei will sleep with whoever's convenient to get her way, you know, no different. And yet is very cruel, is very cold, and maybe maybe because Lady Alana's older, we don't see the history, we don't know what happened with everything, but Cersei seems to be very much a, she'll use you while it's convenient and then dump you when she's done. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna chime in there in that Elena, though she's done certain things for her own end, also seems a lot of her actions are for the greater good. Whereas Cersei's actions are truly to, cert, or to, to suit her interests at the time, whether it be gratification or political or whatever. It's, it's very narrow-minded. And when she's done using you for her purpose, it's a very cold rejection. Mm-hmm. You are done. You know, even with her, her, with Jamie, you know, her brother, they shared a sexual relationship there's supposed to be a closeness of siblings, and then they had the intimacy as well. And yet, now that she no longer has a need for him, it's very, very cold. Yeah, we saw that scene this episode where it was extremely uh, a professional dynamic. He addressed her as your grace. I believe she did address him as... Uh, Lord Commander. Lord Commander, and it was, it was very to the point. There was no other insinuations going on there, and, um, you know, you're excused type of finality to it. If I remember correctly, and obviously chime in and correct me if I'm wrong, but <clears throat> when he comes in and addresses her as your grace, doesn't she make some comment about the formality of it? She does. And then there towards the end, when it starts to get uncomfortable for her... She dismisses him as Lord Commander. Yes. Yeah, he he comes in and, Your Grace, you, you called for me, and she makes comment, Your Grace, how formal of you. So, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, I think that that sums it up for me for King's Landing. For what about you guys? Yes, King, no? King's playing. Landing featured fairly prominently, but I think we fairly well covered it. He I'd was agree. playing that detective role, going around questioning people, and we do, and we definitely see a a connection with I forget her name, Grandma Tyrell, uh, Lady Alana, was it Lady Alana, Queen and of Thorns? 
And she she knows how to hide her doings, mainly because she's been doing it for so long, most likely. And yet, Cersei is the young... How do I say this? She's like the one in training, but not actually having anything to do with the master who was Lady Alana. She's doing things that are most apparent while Alana is knows how to do it behind the shadows. And then you get Alana teaching Marjorie to sneak into Tommen's room and, yep, and win Tommen over before Cersei has the opportunity to corrupt him. I thought that was an interesting scene too. Yeah, it was. Considering Sir considering Marjorie's history. And again this it shows me kind of Orlana's influence here given Marjorie's history. I mean, she's not in terms of the ages that we're seeing, she's not a particularly young woman. She's not old. Sure. But, you know, she's old enough to have been married to three kings now? Uh, well, definitely married, formally married to two, um, consummated by none, betrothed to a third. Right. Um, not very good I luck. just found the, the whole scene with Tommen to be very... Gentle and touching, you know? Obviously, she's being manipulative. She's working to get her own ends. But it's not in a mean way. It's not definitely not Cersei's way. Yeah, but she also knows what she's doing. We saw her manipulate Joffrey in uh, the crossbow scene. And she talked about how it must be so exciting to pull the trigger here and watch something die over there. And she talked about having him take her hunting with him. But that's not... She didn't also think that that was appropriate either, but Joffrey said, oh, no, it's perfectly fine. And so she knows the game. She plays the game about as well as anybody. She's not naive. We saw the conversation with her and Lady Elena, where Lady Elena talks about getting lost and finding her way into what became her husband's bedchamber. And she goes, well, how, how forgetful of me or something. And Marjorie kind of is like, uh-huh. Absent-minded right. of me. Yeah, yeah, sure it was. I, I get it. So she, she manipulates just as well as anybody else. She puts on the front to, uh, you know, get the job done too, without well, sure, necessarily but, revealing. But she's not her. being mean about it. No, agreed, agreed, very much so. Uh, but with I mean, that, not not that I would want to find out I'm being manipulated, but. Yeah, should you be you manipulated, know. you'd want to be manipulated by someone gentle than cruel, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we jump up to the wall. We've got Snow training the new recruits, and there's a familiar face amongst these recruits, uh, as we're introduced to as Locke, who was the same man who removed Jamie's hand from his arm, and was sent up to the wall by, um, oh, what's his name? Bolton, Bruce Bolton, to find the Stark boys. Nice. I finally, finally pulled that out there. <laughs> we see the political battle between the douchebag that's running the Night's Watch. Now I always forget his name, he's just a dickhead. And, uh, and John... <laughs> Um, I'm trying to find his name. Yeah, I don't even know his name. 
Uh, Alistair Thorne. Yep. Alistair Thorne and, and telling him to go clean a chamber pot because you're just a steward and you need to do a steward's duty. What a I thought the whole um, mess hall scene was interesting, though. Alistair approves John's uh, mission and almost kind of dares him to ask the others. I'm not going to command anybody to go with you because I think you're an idiot. But, you know, whatever. Ask the guys. Yeah, I wasn't and, sure the objective here. Was it to try to send John out on his own to get killed? Was it try to see how much influence John had over the Night's Watch? I was I th- torn. It, I think that uh, Alistair thinks that John thinks too much of himself and that he doesn't have the support of the guys. And just judging from his reaction when the guys start standing up for John, yeah, I'll go with you. I mean, it's just a look of surprise on Alistair's face. Like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And then you get that interesting deal where Locke stands up and says, well, if you want fighters, you better bring with you fighters. But he hasn't said his vows, and John looks to Thorne, and Thorne consents to having Locke say his vows and and join him on this this journey, which was kind of interesting that he uh, did that, unless he's got a nace up his sleeve, too. Right. Um, I had to pull this one out of my out of my ass watching the the show the second time around, but. The guy who's running things up at Caster, Craster's Keep, who claims to be the assassin of Fleabottom, uh, did you recognize him from any other works? I did. Um, he's a recurring character on Torchwood. Okay. He also played one of the scientist guys in Pacific Rim. Oh, I didn't catch that one. Yep. He plays the guy who's always walking with the cane and tells the other one that he can't uh, mind meld with a kaiju. Anyway. Cool. <laughs> um, he, this is an interesting character, you know? I mean, he's drinking wine out of Mormont skull, and he's pretty much saying that, you know, they used to pay me seven silvers to kill a man by merely mentioning their name, and no one ever escaped my, my grasp. And none of you other idiots stand a chance to against me. But should you feel you want to give it a shot, by all means. So he has a big mouth. He's, he's got a big mouth, and he's got a big ego. And we've all seen what happens when you have that in the Game of Thrones. <laughs> yep, you die fast. Uh, now, I don't recall Bran ever being this close to Craster's, let alone this close to Craster's with anyone occupying it. I I want to say that I do remember them being close, but I don't remember them getting caught. I did like, however, that we're starting to more or less see a reunion of the direwolves. Because I've, yes. said, I've said this before, that in the books, when Bran wargs... He's hearing calls of other wolves when he's in summer. Mm-hmm. And they haven't addressed that at all in the show. They've just, you know, all the wolves have just gone their separate ways. But, you know, Nymeria, who is 
Arya's wolf is, is unaccounted for. She has been gone since season one. We know Lady is gone, and we know that uh, Grey Wind is gone. And we know that Shaggy Dog is with Rickon and Asha. So, but that still leaves, obviously, Summer, Ghost, and like I said, Nymeria. Um, I think we have a lot of, I, I'm hoping next week's episode is going to kind of give us some action because it's looking like it's setting us up for some. Where do you think, where do you feel that the action is going to come from? What do you... Predictions? Um, yes. Definitely something's going to happen at Craster's. Whether Bran wargs into Hodor because one of the one of the Night's Watch guys talks about, well, if, geez, if I were the size of you, I'd be, I'd be ruling the whole kingdom. Yep. Kind of giving the test to the amount of strength and power that Hodor may be possessing, although because of his simple nature is uh, unaware of but if Bran can work into him which he's done already maybe there can be something going on there uh, maybe Bran works into Ghost and is able to free Ghost from the cage um, I doubt that we would see the reunion of John and Bran that is just would be too much of a different uh, well spoiler alert would be too much of a, a divergent from the book well, there has been some really decent diversions from the book, hasn't there? Wasn't there, what's his name, Stannis and his wife? Didn't she have... Their marriage was always a, uh, a kind of a, an interesting one. I don't know if really the show has really changed their dynamic so much. And their kids? I know or... that their one daughter was in the book is not scarred up with the... What they call patch face, but they had a a fool in their midst that would keep their daughter company. But he had the um, disfigurations, if memory serves. So they have taken some liberties. So oh, and they're going to. They've they've combined a lot of characters. Uh, Gendry, for example, who is Robert's bastard. His character only he stayed with the Men Without Banners. And there was a separate bastard son at Stannis's keep that they were looking to use his blood for the the Red Priestess's work. But they decided to do away with that character and use Gendry for both. They've done a lot of stuff like that from a, a casting standpoint. Feel free to Rob's wife in. was different. Rob's wife was very different. Yep. Yep. And the scene of her demise was very different. Mm-hmm. Because that didn't happen in the books. Uh, but what about you? What do you think we may be... What, did you have any any thoughts on the whole Bran and Craster's and Night's Watch situation? I don't know how firm a hold Bran has on his power yet. Um, obviously, he's he's able to warg at some somewhat at will at the moment. But I think it's still a little early for him to try and take on a full battle like this. Um, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how they play this one out. Like I said, I don't remember them getting caught like this in the book. So, if my memory is correct, this is a little bit of a departure. Mm -hmm. He kind of had that little fun kind of F.U. moment when uh, <laughs> the what was the female wildling, I don't know her name. Asha. 
Asha, she said, we, we have to stick together, or, or I got, I'm going, and she's, Asha says, no, we have to stick together, and he's like, screw you, warg, later. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> Eyes roll. Yep. Talk to the dog, because the human ain't listening. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> Next episode, though, is titled First of His Name. First of His Name? First of His Name. Okay, that's interesting. Yes. Who could that... It's Samuel? written by the Double Ds. Who, I don't think the director's different. I think Michelle's directing another episode this season, but I don't think it's the next episode. No, it's the next one. Michelle okay. McLaren is directing... First of his name. Interesting. Sam? Yes. Um, no. <laughs> it could be that John is named Lord Commander, in which case it would be first of his name, but first of his name usually deals with the lineages or whatnot, and being on the Night's Watch, you... There is no lineage. ...can't have children, so lineage makes no difference. Maybe that's the kind of backwards thing they're going. That, or we're going to see a coronation of Tommen. You think that would happen that fast? I mean, I guess it could. It's I true. Mean, um, Tywin was already grooming him at the at the at the funeral beer side. Yeah, of course. You know? Tywin would probably love to run the uh, realm from behind the scenes once again. Oh, well, still. absolutely, and his aiming to try and groom Tom, Tommen before Cersei has a chance to corrupt, ruin him. Yeah. Or is it that uh, Danny takes up a, a high chair in Marine and names her first knight under her own decree? Sir Grey Worm, first of his name. <laughs> you still can't have kids, so it still is questionable, but it's an option. Yeah, but were knights... Knights weren't given a lineage, though, were they? You could still have kids and, and, and be knights. Um, I understand but that, but I don't know that they use the term, you know. Yeah, usually it's a lord situation or a coming to power. Like you said, the coronation would be a, a more likely fit. So should be interesting. But we will definitely see, yeah. Could be another party. Yeehaw! It seems to be the party season. As long as there's no weddings, everyone should be safe. (laughs) Well, we've got one of those coming up, too. We have another wedding? Tommen and Marjorie. Yeah, but I think that... I I think we're going to have a little bit of time before that actually occurs. Is is, is there going to be another color of this? Is it going to be like the brown wedding? (laughs) (laughs) Tommen shits himself. (laughs) <laughs> the brown wedding. Someone the actually hits wedding. the brown note on a flute or something, and <laughs> everyone everyone shits themselves. Perceives empty their vowels at the same time. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> <laughs> see, Brad is against profanity and um, vulgarness, and oh, even bullshit. though his wife doesn't listen to this podcast because uh, she wouldn't understand it, um, <laughs> he still uh, tries to keep a high. Degree of integrity. Bullshit. Why then? <laughs> I was about to say, why is he on these shows then? Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, uh, that's going to do it for us. Check back in with us next week for An Abundance of Thrones. And uh, be sure to share our knowledge with the world. 
stay away from weddings.